0: hello and welcome to the field guide to body language podcast my name is laurel and i am a movement analyst and body language nerd and also your host Today, we're talking about the intention of movement, or as it's more commonly known among movement analysts, effort. Or if you want to get really technical, eukinetics, because this theory was originally written in German. Effort is one of my favorite topics to talk about because the possibilities are just endless. And once you start to see things, you can't unsee them, they're just with you. This is all about how emotion shows up in our movement. And what you're going to start seeing once we tease these elements out is that our emotion shows through in the intention of our movements. Our bodies react to our emotions in big, obvious ways, like a tantrum or a fist fight, but also in a million tiny ways, like a jaw drop or raised eyebrows, um, and really anything in between. Think about the last time you had a massage or another relaxing experience. Did you take some deep breaths and just feel your whole body relax? how you felt was reflected in how you moved. What about the fourth time you told your teen to put their laundry away? Maybe you raised your voice in frustration. Again, how you felt was reflected in how you moved. What we're talking about here is a muscular response to emotions. And we could dive right off into the deep end and talk about how your relationship with your parents is inhibiting your kidney function. We really could. But I am neither a medical doctor or a therapist. So as fun as it would be to consider deep, deep possibilities like that, I am not qualified to go there. We're sticking with body language that is visible to the outside world. So even though there are muscles inside your body that keep things moving along, that's out of my scope of practice. So let's get into the theory that is in my scope of practice. We look at the way our body reflects our emotions in four categories of movement four categories of movement that intertwine and encompass all of the ways to describe the intentionality of how we move. They are time, weight, space, and flow. Each of these is on its own continuum between two polar opposites. So time has a continuum separate from the continuum of weight, etc. Let's consider time first. Time is on a continuum of acceleration and deceleration. And when you're looking for this in yourself or looking to observe it in someone else, you're simply looking to see whether the person in question is speeding up or slowing down. It's the change of pace that's of note, not the actual pace. So if someone's just going fast, that's great. But unless they're actually speeding up or slowing down, there's there's no time to see here. Um, As a movement analyst, I would say that time isn't observed in a movement where acceleration or deceleration aren't present. There are other things present, but time isn't one of them. For example, uh, when I get excited about something, I tend to speed up my speech and my hand motions when I'm talking about it. Ideas rush into my head, and I'm afraid I can't get them all out into the world before I forget them, so I speed up my speech. On the flip side of that coin, when I'm mulling an idea over In my head, my body movements tend to slow down and my speech slows down because brain power is being diverted to my thoughts. Now, be prepared to see both in turn. Think about this. When you are successfully driving a car, you alternate between accelerating and decelerating to successfully navigate the terrain. No one will only accelerate, no one will only decelerate. We all use both in turn to navigate life. I realize this is going to date me, but if y'all have seen the movie Speed, you know what happens when the brakes are fried and you can't decelerate. It's not pretty. And it's not pretty when that happens in someone's life either. And we've all seen it. It's that friend or coworker who overworks themselves and postpones vacation after vacation until they get sick. And then their body forces them to slow down. A healthy use of time is an alternation between acceleration and deceleration. The next thing to look for is weight. This doesn't have a thing to do with the bathroom scale, so breathe easy. Um, This is an indication of the change in pressure being exerted on an external object. Weight is a continuum of increasing pressure and decreasing pressure. You're either increasing the force you're exerting or decreasing the amount of force you're exerting. And I'm talking about the everyday meaning of force. So if you are a mathematician or a physicist, please don't go down the math rabbit hole here because that gets really confusing. And with weight, just like time, you'll feel or see fluctuations along the continuum. You'll see decreasing pressure and increasing pressure in term. So imagine, let's think about an example that will illustrate this. Imagine you are going to move a heavy dresser or a heavy table or a heavy bookshelf or something along the floor, and um, you are going to slide it on some hardwood, and then you're going to go over a lip, and you're going to have to slide it on a uh, wall-to-wall carpet. You're going to have to push with a certain amount of force to slide the bookshelf, we'll say, slide the bookshelf along the hardwood. But then when you go to the carpet, you're going to get a little bit more resistance. So you're going to have to increase the amount of pressure you're using to keep moving the bookcase. That moment, that is a moment of increasing pressure. The reverse is true. If you're going from carpet to hardwood, you could decrease the amount of pressure. After you slid off the edge of the carpet onto the hardwood. Another moment where we usually exhibit decreasing pressure is swiping across your phone screen. You press into the screen to engage it. And then as you swipe, your hand loses contact with the screen. Your hand movement lightens. It maybe even flips up a little bit. Um, And this is an example of decreasing pressure. The next one is a little bit tricky because this word shows up twice in the system. Uh, So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit and then get into it. There are four main concepts of body language, and they are body, effort, which we're discussing today, space, which is the technical approach to our personal space, and shape, body, effort, shape, and space. Now, within the category of effort, under the umbrella of effort, space shows up again, as we'll say, space effort. I know how confusing that that can be, that space shows up twice. Um, I'm sorry. Um, like, I I didn't write this theory, I'm just passionate about it. Um, So space as a standalone category is very technically defined personal space and space effort defines simply whether the approach to one's surroundings is becoming more direct or more flexible. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the concepts of direct and flexible and then about what movement on that continuum might look like. On one end of the spectrum, you have very direct effort. This is something you're gonna see in movements like cutting vegetables. You wanna know exactly where that knife is going or things could get bloody. Putting, uh, putting a key in the lock is also a movement that requires direct effort. So is pointing your finger or carefully lighting a row of candles. When you wanna pinpoint something, you use direct effort. On the flip side of that coin, flexible effort is all encompassing. Think about what happens to someone's body when they take in a beautiful landscape. Or, or, haha, walk into Staples and they are completely overwhelmed by the mass amounts of glorious office supplies. Maybe that's only me. Their eyes widen, taking in as much of the view as possible. That widening of the eyes, that addressing of vast amounts of space all at once is a very flexible approach to space. They're taking in everything. Sometimes you see this. Um, this is actually a really interesting phenomena. Um, when a little kid is overwhelmed, um, so overwhelmed by their surroundings um, or their situation that their body like almost freezes, but you can tell by looking at them that they're taking in all of their surroundings. That is a moment of flexibility. The little kid in a candy store is a part of a vernacular for a reason. So we've looked at opposite ends of the space spectrum, but what's of note in space effort is the movement along the continuum, not just at either end. Movement needs to be getting more flexible or more direct for space effort to be present and notable. For example, let's consider a moment of choice. Say you're standing in line at the grocery store and the rack of candy catches your eye, um, you would first kind of broaden your approach to space to consider all the candy options when you're at the initial like information gathering part of the decision-making process. Then your gaze becomes more and more focused and specific as you zero in on the candy bar you want. That vacillation between considering multiple candy bars and then just one is a moment of directness. And you might go back and forth between flexibility and directness as you change your mind and find different options to consider. I hope that makes sense. Next, the last element of effort is flow, which is either increasing the amount of control in a movement, which is bound flow, or decreasing the amount of control in a movement, which is free flow. Think about the wild abandon of the walk of a toddler they've just figured out how to walk, but they don't really have control over what they're doing yet. The same is true if someone is drunk. So if you don't have a lot of toddlers in your life, you can get a similar picture from someone who's inebriated. Sometimes, sometimes they'll swerve around and bump into things. They're wobbly on their feet. They have very little power to stop. You're never quite sure where their final destination is. That uncontrolled body movement is the perfect picture of free flow. Now, contrast the wobbly toddler walk with the precision an Olympic athlete exhibits. Every part of their body is controlled. If you watch Olympic runners, you can see absolutely control in every inch of their body. Now, if we put that on a continuum and we watch someone move between controlling their gait more or less, it might look like someone who's a little buzzed trying to pull themselves together to navigate unfamiliar terrain that's a moment of bound flow. Or if you watch those Olympic runners after they cross the finish line, you can see they let their body relax as they slow down. And that relaxation is a moment of free flow. It's also a moment of deceleration. All of human emotional movement can be categorized into these effort elements. Some of it might feel very emotional. Some of it might feel more functional, but these four elements encapsulate the intentionality of our body language. So let's recap really quick on the continuum of time. We have acceleration and deceleration weight vacillates between increasing pressure and decreasing pressure space effort vacillates in between becoming more direct or more flexible in your approach to space. And flow is on a continuum between bound flow, which is controlling more and free flow, which is controlling less. Keep in mind that in everyday movements, they're usually only one or two effort elements present. So don't overdo it trying to find things that aren't there. If you find two elements, you're really good to go. If you see three, great, but don't feel like you have to identify time, weight, space, and flow in every movement. They're not all there. Just look for one or two. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review or share this episode on your social media. Um, And if you have questions, let me know. You can DM me on Instagram. I am at Laurel Foley Um, on Instagram. That's L-A-U-R-E-L-F-O-L-E-Y. Or you can email me at laurel at fieldguidetobodylanguage.com. Thanks, friends.